I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch doesn't want to hear the word genocide in Lethal Weapon 3. Just don't want to hear it. Stars look down and you'd hug yourself on the cold, cold ground. You wake the morning in a stranger's court, but no one would you see. You ask yourself who'd watch for me, my only friend, who could it be? It's hard to say it, I hate to say it, but it's probably me. Hey Pete. Howdy. Do you want to hear in Lethal Weapon 4? <laughs> You're right, I was a little specific. I should have said any Lethal Weapon movie. You know? Okay. Just a general stance that maybe these movies aren't up to the task to talk about um, inner city uh, gang violence. You don't think so? Um, we are talking about Lethal Weapon 3 today. Where we love to watch a movie, movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do a movie over the course of the theme around that month. We remember we compare and contrast. That'll be easy. We're probably going to talk about a lot of them because we're doing um, Lethal Weapon 3. We're still in our in our uh, tantric quickie mode. But uh, we're doing the other three Lethal Weapon movies. The ones we did not cover back when we did Lethal Weapon for Shane Black Christmas. In 2017, and uh, we're on Lethal Weapon 3, which I would say tonally is the movie that people think about when they think of the Lethal Weapon franchise. This movie was huge. It uh, was bigger. It ha- I think it was the most it did at the box office. The previous one, which was the third highest grossing movie of 1989, did about 100 and. 90 million worldwide. Uh, this one did 321 million on a budget of 35 million. Uh, Pretty cool. This movie was huge. This is the movie too. Was the it was the first Lethal Weapon that I, as a child in 1992, was aware of because the posters for this were everywhere. Every video rental store. I mean, it was just like I didn't know about Lethal Weapon one or two. Those were off my radar. I was obviously younger when they came out. The this this is also a movie in the trend of like how weird the early '90s were, where they would market our uh, hard R-rated movies to children tangentially. There was a Nintendo game for this movie that had like the Lethal Weapon three picture that I know my friends would rent and want to watch in every you know want to go to the rental store to get this, and then they would want to watch Lethal Weapon three. This this movie poster with Joe Pesci's head. Peering out, his little blonde dye job peering out. Clearly from with uh, hand doubles for the fingers, because Joe, Joe Pesci was not there on the same day. That, that <laughs> no, <laughs> no. But yeah, it uh, it this movie was huge, and it was everywhere, and it also like, um, I said this last week. I think that. This is the movie where it is like a true buddy cop comedy more than it is a buddy cop drama or anything like that. This, this movie is a is. fully transitional picture 
They've gotten yep. away from the Shane Black noir darkness. These are movies that are a silly set of set pieces. And then at the end, they're like, oh, yeah, we got to go kill the villain. Yep. Uh, and it has great action sequences. Uh, and not and and but it's always looking for jokes or people that it can rib off of and it's attempt to introduce more serious stuff which i think one it was kind of built around this idea of this suicidal cop who lost everything uh the seriousness of that movie was the spine of it the second one which we talked about last week had a lot of seriousness this one was like yeah it talked about corrupt cops and like inner city genocide as you note but it, all that stuff, the, the 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 cops just feel like here's villains that we can shoot and not feel bad about. And the inner city stuff feels like a detour as opposed to like a spine or a theme. But yeah, uh, I know it's adjusted for inflation, but it's only five years. The first one did 120 million, 180 million, and then third one, 320 million. So nuts. What I, I don't I don't just think that me saying that this is what people think about when they think about a lethal weapon movie just from a box office and ticket sales perspective if you saw a lethal weapon movie in the theater you probably saw this one yes and 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 i think the like lighter tone here um absolutely it, it helps it's a movie that's in many ways more digestible than the other one there is yeah. however a big melodramatic weight in the middle of this movie um which feels like it is a uh, attempt to provide some balance to all the comedy uh that's completely unsuccessful um grossly unsuccessful attempt at melodrama but largely it's a light movie very watchable it breezes by it's way too long for what kind of movie this is where it's like there's a corrupt cop stealing guns from lockups and stealing ammo from lockups yeah. and reselling it. Whereas, like, the first movie was about an entire crime cartel that, like, the CIA was involved in. Like, it was a, it was yeah. a much bigger thing than, like, a guy stealing some MAC-10s from lockup. Yeah. Um, general scope here um, is small enough to justify an hour and 45 minute movie, and yet it creeps beyond that. I think in the way that the po- the most popular entries and franchises do, this is the one that also introduced a lot of tropes that I think people track across all the movies in some ways. This is the one where Murtaugh is eight days from retirement and counting down the days while worse and worse shit keeps happening to him, which again is in every cop parody that comes after this. I think people so because he says I'm too old for this shit in the first movie. I think people associate that idea that he's near retirement in the first two. That's not present. He is too old to deal with 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 this this crazy younger cop who has a death wish. But this is the one where literally every single day he wakes up and goes six days to retirement, five days to retirement, There's while more and more terrible kitchen. while more and more terrible things happen. It also has the horniest of sex scenes while they compare wounds, which really lets Mel Gibson uh, the hottest guy of 1992 uh, really show off his uh, both his body and his lovemaking ability through there, which got everyone to the theaters. Yeah, I, I just I again, my 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 thought is that this is actually the Lethal Weapon movie that it's tonally and tropes have stayed 
in the conscious more than even yes. the first one. And yes, um, I don't think the moodiness of the series is remembered by anyone. The Shane Black noir mystery, yeah. L- L.A. Shaggy Dog kind of thing is not remembered by literally Darkness, anybody. Yeah, executions, people's girlfriends getting drowned and put behind them and stuff like that. This is what you think of when you think of Lethal Weapon. You think of uh, a guy with a lighter touch bothering his much older partner. Um, and it, what's kind of funny is that in this movie, they kind of look the same age. Like, I, know. I think I think uh, <laughs> Danny Glover looks a lot younger in this movie than he does in the previous ones. And Mel Gibson has aged at a normal rate. Yeah. Um, so now you're like, they look like peers, which is... yeah. Age, think, age like an alcoholic, I think. Yes, I, I think that's them. what I'm saying. I think yeah. that I think the the general sort of dynamic here is all fucked up. Here's here's I think before we get into this movie anymore, though, I think the most important thing and the most interesting callback from the first movie is, and we talked about this a little. The first movie sounded like this. the The score was composed by Eric Clapton. For the first movie. Mm-hmm. He did contribute a song to the second movie sound. He wasn't out of the game for the second movie. Uh, but he came back for this one to be the producer and compose the film score for Lethal Weapon 3. And I find that incredibly interesting because if you look at the timeline of Eric Clapton's life, some things have changed since he did the score for 1987's Lethal Weapon. Uh, if you don't know anything about Eric Clapton, um, he had some personal tragedy that he milked. Um, mm-hmm. For uh, so in 1991, Eric Clapton's kid died. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote "Tears in Heaven" about it for a different movie soundtrack that no one remembers. I don't know if you know that that was written for a movie soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, but anyways, I, I, yeah, worst, he immediately needed to uh, make money off this. Worst I gotta tragedy. make money on this thing. <laughs> God, I, I really want to. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, worst possible tragedy. Your four-year-old kid dies. That's 1991. Uh, ten days life. after I was born, Eric Clapton's uh, four-year-old son, Connor, died. Yeah. Worst March possible 20th, tragedy. 1991. That's 1991 if you're Eric Clapton. 92, you're producer on the Lethal Weapon 3 soundtrack. I'm not here to. I've never had that. God forbid anyone ever has that sort of tragedy happen to them. Um, so I don't know if the right way to mourn is to produce the soundtrack for Lethal Weapon Three or not. Literally, the only person in the history of the world that will ever have that as a way to to mourn an option for them. Um, but uh, but uh, he took it, and I mean, it doesn't make the score good. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. It's we we kind of laughed about like the Lethal Weapon score is such a 1987 LA noir score. Like it's overdone and it's not great. It's like Eric Clapton retar. Yeah, yes, but it, and it I totally really like the sax touches to be just get it all on Main Street. I really like the like sad sax sad sax yeah. stuff in the first movie. I think it works great. This one, it, it, it fits aesthetically and tonally while not being good on its own. If you're listening to the Lethal Weapon 1 soundtrack, I name I could probably name 100 soundtracks you should buy first, and then maybe that one outside of the movie. I That's am my, saying it works, yes, it works really well in the movie. I, in like, the movie. I, like, I like it as a series of stings. Yes. And um, I don't like it as a series of sting, which is one. Yeah. Um, 
who also participated in a sung theme song alongside Eric Clapton for Lethal Weapon 3. Yeah, so Lethal Weapon 2 she, got she accolades. She was in the star- studio making Lethal Weapon 3 song, and it's called, like, Burning Fire or Fire of Love or whatever the fuck it is. Um, do you think he was in the studio making the song with Eric Clapton, and he was like, mate, I should think you, you should go here? home. It's, should you be here? Uh, look, I'm Sting, and all I know is about eight-hour orgasms. But <laughs> I think, you like... the papers? Um, yeah. Uh, the, this Lethal Weapon 2 was a trendsetter in the way it started with fucking like, yeah, Mel Gibson, they're speeding in a car, Lethal Weapon 2 flies on the screen, no other credits. This one opens with a long, drown-out Sting and Eric Clapton song while a fire, while it zooms around a fire like Batman credits style, but without the Danny Elfman things for it to form a big flaming three next to Lethal Weapon. Before the action starts. It's very James Bond. It's very, like, Timothy Dalton era James Bond. Going into Pierce Brosnan era James Bond. If you're thinking that it's mean of us to make fun of Eric Clapton, I would look up anything he said in the last 15 years. Look up Eric Clapton, controversial. (laughs) Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, Connor did nothing to deserve it (laughs) that we know about. But, um, but, uh, yeah, Eric Clapton sucks and it's okay to make fun of him. And also... Uh, yeah, the Tears in Heaven thing's really weird when you dig into some of that stuff. So, uh, it's, I, I think there's no Mr. wrong Show... way to mourn, but I would offer, there might be one. <laughs> the, the, uh, the Mr. Show sketch about Eric Clapton, um, where they make fun of the guy who, like, has the tragedy and his son dies and then he keeps writing the songs and is so excited every time he wins an award <laughs> is one of my, I think that ruined Eric Clapton for me. Uh, prior to Eric Clapton ruining Eric Clapton for me. Yeah. Do you also, I've never liked Eric his Clapton's music. Son? I mean, you could be. I mean, I would have had to have been born with no soul for 10 days. Do babies have souls for the first 10 days? You have a baby. They baby. mostly I mean, gawk. Let, let me tell you, if there was like a heaven can wait situation where like a baby soul was replaced 10 days in, you wouldn't know. Yeah. I, I think at least six months before you know your baby soul's been replaced by, like, fucking Warren Beatty football star. <laughs> That's what I think. Your baby really is this warm, just little, like, worm that you love and it loves you back. And But most of that is kind of like this emotional, like, you, it's a vibe-based love. Yeah. Um, the, ba- the baby is not making eye contact with you and saying, I love you. The baby is making eye contact with you and staring at you like the obelisk from 2001. Well, because it's blurry unless you're like 10 inches from their face. And even up close, they're like, Jesus Christ, what's this fucking guy doing here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I said last week that like, no one's going to pop in Lethal Weapon 3. You're not going to be like, I need a movie today. Let's watch Lethal Weapon 3. That's not how you watch Lethal Weapon 3. How you watch Lethal Weapon 3 is that you've watched Lethal Weapon 1 and 2 and are like, it's a lazy Sunday or a sick Saturday and I might as well watch the next one because I've enjoyed everything up to this point. And under those circumstances, you will have a good time. And I can say that directly because I had a little stomach bug for a few days. And not only did I watch Lethal Weapon 3, I was like, I'm just going to watch Lethal Weapon 4 next. Even though we're covering it for the show probably in another week, I was like, I don't want to watch something new. I don't feel good. I don't need to meet new characters. I'm just like, I probably would have done that if we were not recording it for the show 
just because I was like, what else am I going to watch? So on though, on that level, I think I'm probably overrating this movie based on like letterbox star ratings. I gave it four stars. I know you gave it three, Peter. Um, this is your intervention. Uh, (laughs) but I'm watching you. Uh, but I would say that like, Lethal Weapon 3 has none of the darkness, none of the theming, and it is a very well-directed, fun, brainless, funny, with characters that I love seeing, um, action movie, where all of the theming is bad, the specific theming for this movie, and all of the macro theming that goes across the series is at its worst. Like, this is the movie where they, like, yeah, what if cops don't have rules? Actually, anyone who even tries to impose rules on cops is, like, an idiot. Like, they get in trouble at the beginning. The opening action sequence is them defusing a bomb. And they they run in and Riggs is like, yeah, I I got it. It was like the bomb on your toilet from the last movie. I'm just going to do stuff. And he kind of, like, he's like. Blue? Red? Whatever. I don't care. Like, he doesn't care what he does. And he is he... back to being suicidal, but in a way that he has a big fucking grin on his but, face. But in a carelessness. He's not suicidal, he just doesn't doesn't care. Um, he cuts the wrong wire, they run out, they blow up the building, no one's harmed, but they're I also, like, back. I would literally die for you, Murtaugh, but also, for absolutely no reason, I'm willing to Yeah, no reason. Bomb. The bomb squad's coming, there's no... He's like, I just think I could do it. Um, which, again, speaks to, like, there... Instead of him actually being someone with uh, darkness or suicide, he just – they employ that as an aesthetic for his character of being like – He's generally yeah, reckless. Som- he's just reckless. Sometimes he gets that gets the job done and sometimes it doesn't. This time, whoops, it didn't get the job done in the right way. They're busted back to patrolmen and how do they spend their time not being patrolmen? They just start fucking with jaywalkers to the point that he pulls out his gun, threatens to shoot him for not producing – a license. The movie is saying this is funny that they're fucking with this idiot who jaywalked. Obviously, pointing a gun at a jaywalker if you're a cop is not a funny thing. Not a good in bit. general. Uh, and also, like later on, when they're like they don't want Leo Getz to follow him in the car, so they just take out their guns and just blow away his tires. It's like, a really bad again. UCB skit. Like, yeah. So I mean. This I is would the not movie recommend where, like, improv everywhere uh, hire, hire <laughs> officers with guns. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is the movie where the idea of them even being directionally tied to regulations of police officers. And this is the one, too, where internal affairs is, is a big part of it, too. And instead of the internal affairs being like, hey, you probably shouldn't torture that guy with the car tire – she sleeps with Rene Russo's character, and then she is driving the car, threatening to torture people to get information out of them after they made a big deal about putting cameras in the interrogation rooms to make sure torture doesn't happen. This, this is like, what if everyone's a Jack Bauer and they can just fuck with anyone all they want? Here's so, my question. Look, this guy hates internal affairs so much. When has the police department provided him literally any friction in these three movies <laughs> i mean just this they bust him out to patrol for like man. five days for like five five days but like um, in the first two movies it, what the funny part about him going rogue in the third act of one and two 
is that it's not like he goes to his police commissioner and he's like, we don't have a warrant to go out to that desert compound. He's just like, you know what? There's a way we got to do this. It's it's extrajudicial. What you know, cops aren't going to be able to do this. And he and he just decides to do it. Like yeah. Uh, his police commissioner isn't like, yeah, I'm taking your badge and gun until you talk to your therapist, which he should. This is the movie yeah. that ju- genuinely everyone in it should be in therapy, and they're still making jokes about how to, how going to therapy is gay. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, like, <laughs> and genuinely, no one is making Riggs and Murtaugh do fucking anything, fill out paperwork. They literally... The only time they say he the kills word- his Murtaugh kills his son's friend, and she's like, he really should talk to someone. And and Riggs is like, what you mean, like you, you <laughs> idiot? You like, mean like a guy in a yeah. bathhouse, like a guy who <laughs> like, wants to suck his dick? Like, yeah, why are they? Hey. They immediately, anytime anybody, it's like a movie. It's a movie that like the backbone of it is how sweet this like male romance is, this platonic yeah. male romance is, oh, yeah. and anytime. That, like, somebody has to be vulnerable. <laughs> Someone walks up and is like, gay. Like, what? Yeah, I know. What is, what is the, I understand, like, the idea that, like, Riggs in the first movie is apprehensive to go to therapy. I get it. That's, like, part of the movie is that he's, a, he, he really wants to die and he wants to find, like, a way that someone kills yeah. him instead of him killing himself. Like, yeah. that's kind of part of the whole movie until the very yeah. last scene. Like, yeah. But now, three movies in, you're like, this is fucked up. Like, why are you being so macho about hating yourself? Yeah, it, I mean, it is a... I have no defense for this movie as anything more than just it's fun to watch. And I gotta tell you, Peter, it's fun to watch. If you decide, like, I'm gonna put all those things on the side and, like, not care about that, and even just like the sense the how I, I think the screenplay is super lazy. They It is I not talk, a screenplay. It's they it is, they, it is it's like it's it's like a, a line and then they just hang a bunch of cards on it and they're like, uh actually, well they don't know Rene Russo yet, so we have to move this down here. Anyway, script's they, done. <laughs> they the whole plot gets set in motion because while they're busted down to patrolmen after they fuck with the jaywalker, someone steals an armored car right next to them. And then they chase that armored car, which leads them into the whole conspiracy. They are not even trying to be like, hey, how are they going to get in on this one? Is it related to the thing that happened in the first act? Are they going to follow a trail? Now, what if uh, it happens eight feet from them? And then that's the a bigger conspiracy. And what if even that armored car robbing makes no sense? And has nothing to do with the main villain, basically. It has, it has nothing to do with the conspiracy, him. except those guys work for him. They got a little bit too cocky because they had big guns that he was stealing. And so they're like, we got guns now. Let's go rob armored cars. And they're, he's like, why'd you do that? You didn't need to rob armored cars just because I gave you guns. Now you're making it look bad for me. Uh, and even then... <laughs> they get busted back and they go to Leo Getz is now a real estate agent who's trying to sell, uh, sell the Murtaugh house. He's like, oh, I probably worked for that guy, too. Oh, yep. I know that guy. He's got tickets to this hockey game. He goes there every single week. Go do that. Like, it is a uh, it is a series of, like, unconnected things that get them involved in this. That just r- literally random chance. I mean... Even with the shootout where he kills his son's friend, they're just eating at a burger place. And they're like, oh, shit, there's guys with guns who tie back to the main villain and is also my, 
my like they're not investigating anything. No, they just like this is, is where you get a good <laughs> this is where you get a good burger. The the entire universe of this movie revolves around the crime. Like the crime just revolves around wherever they are. Yes. One must question <laughs> whether the problem is crime or the, these two. Um, yeah. I do. It is also very funny from a modern context where a lot of us are not just apprehensive of modern policing, but are outright hostile to it and think the entire system needs to be taken apart. Because, like, there's a moment where Riggs is just kind of sees some black guys talking near a car, and Riggs is like, nah, I don't trust this. That's, that is his probable cause. Yeah. Like, uh, and they're right. They have the guns from the bad guys that, I mean, yeah. it is, it is, so, it's, it's so lazy. Oh, the way they pu- they put all these things together. And they literally and get- need to knock Riggs out. They need to knock Riggs out so that Murtaugh is the one that pulls the trigger on the young black kid who is his um, son's friend. Son's friend. And ri- just a random guy runs up behind the porta potty and hit- hits Riggs on the head with a board. Yeah. Riggs has not been snuck up on in two minutes. Why didn't he use his. Also, why didn't everyone else using their guns? Yeah, the, this why guy. They, wasn't, why did they shoot him? This guy, like he get he gets he gets ninja attacked by a guy with a two by four. <laughs> I know. Like it is the guy with uh, with armor piercing rounds. Which, by the way, they the what's interesting in kind of the nexus here. We don't have really time to take this whole thing apart, but like this movie really engages in the fear around cop killer rounds. <clears throat> yeah, which um, was huge it, in ninety two. It's actually a super complicated kind of thing. Because this movie comes out two weeks after uh, the ma- the fucking um, psychopaths, the pieces of shit, human scum that beat the fuck out of Rodney King um, after they were acquitted, right? Um, and uh, you literally only need to watch that tape to know that they're pieces of shit, right? Like, this movie comes out, this movie where cops just act with complete impunity. I don't know if they use the word warrant in the first two movies, but in this movie, um, they literally only talk about Warrens as a joke. Um, yeah. But the all of this happens. And then in the middle of it, there's a discussion about, quote unquote, cop killer rounds. And the idea was basically that armor piercing rounds would punch through um, both types of body armor that cops would have. Yeah, um, that's a huge plot point in this movie. The bad guys have access to armor-piercing rounds because they're stealing from cop supply. They keep saying evidence lockers, but, like, armor-piercing rounds were never on the streets to any degree, really. So it plays into that fear-mongering in a way where you're like, cops, they've got a target painted on their back. Just like the last movie. Cops, they got a target painted on their back, even though they don't. Um, And then in the... In, in Terrorum, like, the armor-piercing rounds debate is kind of complicated because, like, we made a big media sort of frenzy around these, like, Teflon-coated armor-piercing rounds. And, like, in reality, they weren't really on the street. They were being used by police departments. They also made a big thing about um, hollow-point rounds. Um, yeah. And hollow-point rounds crush and stay inside the body as opposed to going through a body and then maybe going to, into a second body. And cops have been using hollow-point rounds for at least 30 years. Um, like, 
this is a thing where like cops have access to like military grade technology and then like maybe one street gang got access to it once um and then there was a media frenzy a media freak out about this and uh, a call to ban these rounds um access to the public even though the public clearly never really had access to them yeah but on the flip side, the public should also not have access to armor-piercing rounds. There's no practical use for it. And they also should not have access to any sort of special munitions. So, like, there was this huge media debate about cop killer rounds. And I would, I would, I would proffer, I would offer, actually, that uh, Lethal Weapon 3 is not the space to sort through the loss of a child. It is also not the space to, to sort out the Rodney King beatings... The L.A. riots. What type of ammunition the American <coughs> public should be allowed to to have? I would offer that this movie is ill-equipped to uh, handle literally anything that it touches at any given moment. Yeah, I think it mostly serves the the only thing it's really qualified to handle is processing the death of the film's composer's child. <laughs> I will say, the idea that maybe sometimes work helps you liberate yourself from your grief is great. I would offer maybe not being in the studio and Sting being like, oh, sorry, I'm I'm so sleepy. Last night I was having sex from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. It's 8.15 right now. Cool, I hope you didn't make a child. I don't want you to have to write sad songs on your next album, Sting. Um, uh, yeah, I again, I have, I have no defense for this movie as a, any piece of messaging or thought. Like <laughs> the themes in this movie are fucking like toxic sludge. <laughs> Truly, it's all bad. Like, it's I, all bad. Like, it, it, do you think cops shouldn't torture people? Renee Russo did at the beginning, and then once she has sex with Mel Gibson, she's like, "Let's fucking torture people. Let's figure out where this guy's coming from." Um, like that I've whole got idea that, that, that make you go, hmm, "Fascism's kind of good." Yeah, <laughs> internal affairs. I liked him inside my affairs. <laughs> I like to have an affair with him internally. Internally, yeah. There we go. Um, uh, yeah, and Rene Russo's <laughs> a ninja. A, Gibson's on a half shell internal power. Power. Uh, yeah, uh, Rene Russo's a ninja. I mean, like I, I. <laughs> she, she is. There's a scene where, like, I, we're glad she's not teenage. She's five. Five goons come at. They're just goons come at her. And Murtaugh and Rick, and Murtaugh's like, should we help her? Because we have guns and we're sitting there. And Rick's like, no, 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 watch this. This gets me all horny. And she, like, fucking ninjas them all. This is... They have, like, fucking automatic weapons. And she's just like, kapow. And he's like, like I'll join when I'm done jacking off. I'm, I'm, I have to jack off to this. Please don't take this. <laughs> this is... Please don't... This is, this is the neoliberal, liberal thing we've talked about last week. Which is that, More like, women guards. Yeah. <laughs> Hire more women guards. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is it is the, the liberal thing where you're like, <laughs> it's it's not, it's uh, no longer like women don't deserve to be cops. It's like women should be cops and they should be worse at doing crimes than <laughs> they should be. They should be so dirty. <laughs> they should you be say, so dirty. saying a woman can't be a dirty cop. Um, and but the... like honestly, like it, it's weird because it's sort of like the like 
bros sexualizing um, lesbians instead of being disgusted by them thing we talked about last yeah. week and we talked about Lethal Weapon 1, which is like, it's technically progress, but I'm not giving you fucking any points for it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. They, uh, I really so gotta need, because... I'm going to need to see more, more, more feet forward before I'm going to give you any fucking medals. Rene Russo, in the first 30 minutes of this movie, could not hate Mel Gibson more. Oh, yeah. And it turns so quickly. Like, they are just like, hey, I'm actually <laughs> in Eternal Affairs. You're a terrible cop who breaks all these rules. And sexually kind of harasses Internal Affairs. And sexually harasses Internal Affairs. It's kind of insane that we haven't uh, arrested you, but you need to stay out of my way. And then, like, instead of listening to them, they make a scene in the middle of an NHL hockey game and, like, just start, like, that That ends up with someone shot on the ice, by the way. Like, and they let the guy go. And then he's like, hey, this is your fault. And he's, like, in her face and, like, grabbing her and stuff like that. And then, like, they're like, She's like, okay, let's go to this house without a warrant with you. And then he, like, hugs a dog hard enough and sees her ninja move. And they're like, yeah, well, we sh- I should throw all my morals out the, the window and fuck this guy. And she she shows that she's a, a, a more of a cop than him. And that she immediately wants to shoot that fucking dog. She yeah, immediately is like, I don't like dogs. I, I want to shoot it. And, and Riggs is like, you know what? My one redeeming quality as a person is that I want to yeah. I want to hug this sweet little uh, is it a Rottweiler? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think I think or a Doberman. It's a it's, it's a, a Rottweiler. It's a Rottweiler. They're 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 uh, we uh, my wife and I volunteered for years at a, a German Shepherd rescue, and one thing that like we realized just over the years is that like every few years Hollywood picks a new dog to be the bad dog. <laughs> it's sort of like how you're like it's nazis right now but don't worry we're moving on to inner city gangs and next week don't worry and like sometimes it's rottweiler sometimes it's doberman sometimes it's german shepherds and then it's pit yeah. bulls when you get in the 2000s it needs to be a pit yeah. bull on a on a pinch collar or a choke collar uh and a guy holding it needs to be holding a chain <laughs> the best it's way to, the the best way to walk your dog is with a 20 pound weight on your hands some dogs are bad guys peter the sooner you accept that the, it, the only way to very, yeah and very specious the only way the only good way to stop a, a bad dog with a dog is, is a good, good dog dogs. also with that's a dog. kind of the movie max the movie that i hate more than any other movie <laughs> That's about a German Shepherd who kills bad guy Dobermans by throwing them off a waterfall mm-hmm. to apparently the cheering crowd, they imagine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if you've seen David Fincher's The Killer yet. Um, no. And this is like the minorest of spoilers, but it is very funny that like in this cold-blooded, mean, mean movie, they still won't kill the dog. <laughs> I... It's just a thing. One of, one of the funniest runners of this movie that I actually find very funny is so we talked about how he's trying to quit smoking in this movie he quit drinking off screen not in real life obviously it, yeah you know any news about mel gibson it, it, uh, it but... was something that that shane black wrote into the script and then through the various um changes through the script uh eventually it became something that just happens off screen and they reference it in yeah small ways. but he he's trying to quit smoking which means that he constantly gets cigarettes torn out of his mouth and one time murtaugh's like chew on these instead and they're dog biscuits and I do think it's a funny runner that he gets a 
addicted to dog biscuits as his way to every time he wants to smoke he eats a dog biscuit so yes. he always has them on yes <laughs> and then at the end of the movie he has a cigarette to try to get off the dog biscuits uh i i think that's funny it's a good bit uh um, it's great bit uh let's quickly talk about the horniest uh armored car driver of all time oh yeah so uh so this is a movie so what do you want to say about this part peter so this is a movie where you're either sexually harassed or the sexual harasser there's no there's no other camp it's a world of you know there's sometimes people think of the world as a place of haves and have nots and um in this sense this would be a world of haves a restraining order or haves not a restraining order so oh uh, well, you have one is just against someone else versus has one against you. <laughs> You're right. This is more of a Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah, not not everyone. What all it says is that half of L.A. can't be in a room with the other half of the L.A. for, for different reasons. Um, I actually, the reason I want to talk about it is... That's so, why they made Riverside. Uh, yeah. The reason I want to talk about it is that, so there's a scene where the armor car, uh, car chase... That uh, Gibson is trying to get into the bad guy's armored car, and Murtaugh's pursuing with this with the actual armor car um, that was that was supposed to get the money, and it's driven by this woman who is half driving the car, half trying to grab Murtaugh's dick the whole time, mm-hmm. and and he's interacting with that. And I actually think like I actually think this is the problem with Lethal Weapon three and four, besides all the thematic and stuff we talked about. It's that the lesson they learned with Lethal Weapon 2 is that uh, – and actually, I'm going to go back to Lethal Weapon 1. So Lethal Weapon 1, you had Riggs as an unhinged character interacting with Murtaugh, who's sensible and not a comedic voice really in that movie. He isn't like a, I'm frustrated and this is frustrating for me. He's reacting, but Riggs is the kind of funny unhinged – that movie's less of a comedy – but that's where that energy comes from. They didn't have that as much in two, and they introduced uh, Leo Getz, right? So now, while they're trying to do police work because they're on the same page, they have this other character who <laughs> is inserting himself and allowing Riggs and Murtaugh to direct their ire to a third person in the situation as opposed to just shitting on each other or getting frustrated with each other. They, they still sometimes do get frustrated with each other, but there's this now other character. And I think that idea of, like, this is where they work best is when they're being incredibly frustrated by someone else. Uh, which, again, was Riggs in the first movie, was mostly Gex in the second movie. It had them constantly trying to always put them in any action scene where someone is pissing them off unrelated to the action scene and a character has to deal with it. So you have Murtaugh. That is a really good action scene, the, the armored car driving. It, it's not funny because Murtaugh and Riggs are separated. There's no Leo Getz type character to be like, where are we going? And Murtaugh going, just shut up. I'm trying to drive. So instead, they introduce this, what should be a one scene character, but somehow is a two scene character because they bring her back to bring flowers to the police station later. And they're like, what if Murtaugh's frustration is not catching up and saving Riggs, but he is being aggressively sexually harassed by the woman driving this truck and i think that inclination to always have someone who is getting their goad in any action sequence is really where why the third and the fourth movie 
uh, even the the action set pieces and the funny stuff really start to 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 take a step back because Chris Rock serves as this character in four a lot of the time where it's like they didn't trust the fact that like they couldn't figure out a way to get gets into every single action sequence anymore to have him be the annoying person. And Murtaugh and Riggs were teaming up more. They weren't constantly pissing each other off. And so they constantly were like, well, who's the annoying asshole in these scenes that they have to play off of or when they're separated? And I think that inclination is why, like, just from a pure comedic and action perspective, these films are lesser than the first two movies as well. Because it doesn't feel natural anymore. It feels like... This character's stupid. There's no reason for her to be in this movie. There's no reason, even like even just realistically, like she's driving against traffic in an armored car pursuing things, and she is half paying attention to the road, half trying to grab the dick on like no one's that horny at 9 a.m. Like that you're like, <laughs> at like your, I'm at sorry. Your armored like, car car job. Yeah, like there's just like it is it is there only to make Murtaugh frustrated when nothing else in the scene was going to frustrate him. And yes, Danny Glover, very good at playing overwhelmed and frustrated. You don't need him to be that in every scene, especially when your only way to get that out of him is like make him be make him be sexually harassed by some random woman in this. And so, like, again, as someone who's not defending this movie but does enjoy it quite a bit. I do think that inclination to be like, this dynamic works and we need to constantly pursue it at all costs is what makes that scene and like most of the Chris Rock scenes in Lethal Weapon 4 hit like a ton of lead that are not funny and don't hold up well even in that kind of frustration in a way that actually the Joe Pesci stuff still does because A, Joe Pesci's a better actor, but he like, he works because like I said last week, he just he does get frustrated. They do treat Joe Pesci like shit, but he is like so in love with these two as his heroes from Lethal Weapon 2 is that they can be shits to him and he just always comes back for more. That's the dynamic of that character. Even though he used in this to movie work for he mob bosses them because yeah. of their incompetence, he got recaptured by the South Af- South Africans. <laughs> yeah. I know, but then they came and saved him and like so he I mean he he has it's a real like this relationship. I guess. Yeah, oh, a hundred percent. But the dynamic works, so he can be annoying. But they have like a almost like a blood oath thing where you save my life and we're stuck with him forever, yeah. and that kind of thing. So the dynamic works. They're annoyed with him. They're not really friends with him, but he'll do anything for them. But he does also get annoyed with them because they're assholes to him because he's a human being oh, with yeah. feelings. Um. But, like, constantly trying to replicate that energy come hell or high water is what makes these two movies lesser, even from that perspective. And we'll talk about this more next week, about how, like, Chris Rock, his character and his scenes are terrible in Lethal Weapon 4. Yeah. They are so terrible because they're like, how do we get a new guy that annoys these people? And they're like, this? But it doesn't work. Like, they either should have forgot about that part of it or just recognize that like hey lethal weapon works without a leo Getz. so sure put your leo Getz in there he's fine he's funny in most scenes he's in he's joe pesci stop trying to replicate that exact same energy that was only introduced in in the sequel and i i i I, like again there's so many thematic issues with it but i do think that scene captures um why these movies got lesser from just a pure 
fun to watch perspective too yeah yeah i mean absolutely um i think that the behind the scenes kind of camaraderie that is like literally like they fired the screenwriter from two and then brought him back for three uh the second screenwriter sorry yeah um, and brought him back for three because they were just like you know what that guy's he's a good guy like he gets this he gets these characters let's bring him back and like richard donner remaining friends with mel gibson and like this sort of camaraderie that pervades these movies that you can genuinely sense like it's it, mm. these movies feel like movies where it's not just buddy cops but like the movies feel like they're big budget cop violent cop movies where everybody seems to like each other behind the scenes yeah that has drawbacks um this is this is not dissimilar from kevin smith keeping certain people around <laughs> who aren't very funny or talented anymore because they knew him back in new jersey right yeah like Kevin Smith's from New Jersey? <laughs> or, uh, yeah, uh, sorry, uh, New Hampshire? One of the news. New Mexico? Yeah. New Dakota? <laughs> New Amsterdam? Uh, you know, the, the keeping keeping certain people around and, and writing scripts at some point, it's like, you, you might need new blood to actually write real jokes at a certain point. And, like, yeah. I think that because sometimes Richard Donner would be like, well, this was fun to shoot. Uh, it doesn't necessitate that it was, it's actually fun to watch. Um, that is my, my projection on the fact that these movies are so loose and improvisational and that they would bring back a lot of the same people and a lot of the same crew and actors is that, um, they had such a fun time making them, especially in the latter half of the series. And the fourth movie literally ends with why can't we be friends? Um, (laughs) <laughs> that um like that has that that's that causes you to suffer like the bit with the woman who the sexually harassing armored car driver like it has the vibes of like two guys just fucking around one day and they're like let's see what we can do with this really funny actor let's see what happens with her and danny danny glover and then all of a sudden they're like you know what it was so fun to shoot that that one day we need to have another scene where she comes back with flowers because she's really sick and then you write the scene and danny glover's committed to it and you're like you know what put it in the can we're keeping the scene and nobody yeah. would notice no one on planet earth would notice if that character disappeared from the movie but since she's in two scenes it casts a shadow on the whole movie you know well it also is like it, it is a really good action sequence of them driving through la and again, the, the set pieces in this movie and all the movies are, are amazing. Like, you just don't see set pieces like that. And part of it is probably just the cost to do these kind of things or, like, the permits or, like, we do most of it in computers right now. But, like, the the set pieces in this are fantastic. The, the, um, the motorcycle chase at the end of this, like, is uh, – or near the end of this is fantastic where he, like – I mean, that was like that scene where he goes underneath and the glass breaks and he's still driving on the flames to the end of the bridge. I I remember that still from the like the 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 pre uh, preview like uh, slideshow they used to play before movies where it would, you know, be advertisements of local companies and then like movie trivia and then like 
just like iconic visuals from movies. They had that scene for Lethal Weapon 3 for like three years. Like him, mullet, broken glass motorcycle. It's a great scene. When he then he when he flies down at the end and keeps falling um, off the bridge when they turn around and start firing him. Great scene. Like all that stuff looks really good. But that the 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 idea of like instead of that adding to the scene like oh here's a character he while he's trying to fight traffic i'm also fighting this character who's being annoying which is a lethal weapon staple but instead of it adding to the humor and the action and the anxiety that in the moment it's like this is stupid please move on from this and that's when it goes on the wrong side of it it's no longer adding to the stress of the characters it's adding to the stress of the audience that doesn't want to keep coming back to this part of the action sequence yeah I, I agree. And also, in the middle of all of that, at the end of that action sequence, where you're like, it is exciting to see Riggs on a bike and whatever. Um, it's no. less exciting that it mirrors uh, a much better action sequence in John Woo's Hard Target, which is... oh, I'm really glad we covered that on the show. Um, but uh, literally, like, guy riding a motorcycle through a, a fog and then, you know, facing down another car on a highway overpass kind of thing. Um, yeah. That scene is kind of hollowed out by another problem with this movie is they'll do lines that are, like, this lethal weapon doesn't have a central, like, I'll be back kind of, like, you know, tagline. Um, it's It's got, I'm, I'm getting too old for this shit in the first movie, but, like, they keep trying to. They don't com- use that constantly. No. It's not a yippee ki motherfucker. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Uh, it is not yippee ki motherfucker. I don't but think like, it's in two or three. I guess we'll find out if it's in. It four. is impossible know. to believe that it's not in four, though. Um, <laughs> I'll 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 I'll, I'll uh, be on the watch out for that when I watch it. Um, but the point is that this movie tries to take lines from previous movies and sort of like. Uh, almost try and make them into series taglines. Um, and one thing is right after that sequence you're referring to, Riggs goes, um, oh, now I'm pissed, Raj. Now I'm fucking pissed. And it's a hollow echo of the moment that it happened in the first movie, which is like a moment where you're like, yeah, I'm fucking pissed too. They fucking shot you through a plate glass window like they like i in the first movie it genuinely fills you with rage but in this movie it feels hollow because it's like yeah. well how many times can i see the same thing over and over again with you saying the same line over and over again like um there's a hollowness to them trying to recapture the glory here whereas um in the last movie i felt like they were like kind of treading into new and dangerous water and then they're like oh shit um his wife got killed by the South Africans. We need to we need yeah. to inject some random drama in the third act that actually is like more distracting in its impossibility than it is dramatic. In this one, they're like they're they're not going that big with the drama. There is the you know the whole sequence where Roger decides to show up to his um, victim's funeral. <laughs> not a good look, Roger. Uh, um, your son and your wife can probably go. I don't know what the rules are there when it's a friend of yours that you killed, but uh, perhaps the the killer should not be there. Maybe he should yeah. p- more. It, it was a clean shot. My partners told me it was a clean shot. 
Which he, he gets a, a T. Well, he said a clean he kill. A clean, clean kill. He says a clean kill because like he was shooting at him. So it's, yeah, it's he uh, he gets a T public shirt that says that says this has been your son's death has been deemed a clean kill by the L.A. Police Department. You know, there's some of that sort of melodrama in there, but the movie doesn't try and inject sort of like that kind of like high stakes, like, oh, now now things are serious kind of kind of shit in there. Instead, at the end, it's kind of like, oh, we're going to go kill the bad guy. He's a bad guy. His bullets hit harder than previous bullets. And frankly, the bad guy, he's he's got a smarmy kind of fun performance, but he's not the best villain in the series. He's probably the worst villain out of the four. Um He's just the least memorable. Yeah, I mean, he's. I'm not saying the actor is doing a bad job. The actor is actually like I think they um, don't spend as much time with him. That was actually a Richard Donner thing. He wanted less time with the villain and more time. Got it. I mean, you spend a lot of time with the villain in two in particular. Um, he has the villain does have one really great kill. Um, to make try and make it memorable, which is like grosser than most slasher kills I've seen. You ever seen anybody be buried in live concrete? I know it's it's good. It's I, gnarly. It's, I haven't, yeah, I, really I don't cool. like sometimes we're watching. They did kill that guy for real, practical effects. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he jaywalked like six times. Yeah. Hey, you can't dump some guy in concrete for jaywalking. You just point a gun at his head. <laughs> Legal. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like this, this movie uh, doesn't have like an outsized sense of drama, but it does have this like melodramatic core, which is that Murtaugh has a complete fucking meltdown for having killed um, one of his son's friends, someone he knew. And I will say, I'll pay the movie one compliment on this front. One compliment. Is that Riggs immediately tries to, like, justify it. He's like, it was a clean kill. It was a clean kill. Yeah. And Riggs goes, no, man. Like, fuck that. Like, I knew that kid. Yeah. Like, which I think is, like, really, like, it's the way to talk about it. Like, it's... That was a real person. And then he has an entire sequence where Murtaugh goes off the deep end that I think is half really good because it shows you, like, Riggs is, like, fighting against his alcoholism and his, his you know, uh, tendency to spiral into despair. Mm-hmm. But, but the other half of it is, like, this melodramatic kind of ugly, like, well, why well, are you only when you, You're the only one that shot the kid. <laughs> Well, but also, like, it's that thing, like, oh, because you knew this kid, now it's a tragedy of the other kids that you would have... I mean, yes. they killed other kids in that moment, too. Like, yeah, I I get it. Here's... I think we're at the end of this. Yeah, oh, yeah, we're, we're there. Final verdict. Terrible movie, four stars. Just <laughs> <watch> it <if laughs> you... uh, I, it is how I feel about it. Like, this is a three-star movie if you watch it in a vacuum and a four-star movie if you just watch Lethal Weapon 1 and 2 and want more Lethal Weapon. Like, that is where I'm at with it. It is an indefensible, terrible movie. It's much less than the other ones. I, I, But I enjoyed, like, it's, it, it holds up to no scrutiny on any level. F- script, story beats, it's, kind of, it's fun to watch. It is a movie that pushes forward all the bad cop myths that cops are somehow carrying the burdens of the sins of society and that, you know, whatever. And that there's good cops out there and there's bad cops and we just have to get rid of those bad apples and yeah, yada, yada, all the bad stuff. 
Uh, however, and the bad apples are incredibly obvious because they quit the force, but still go back and kill people in interrogation rooms pretty easily. Yeah, they because they have connections to the old department. They're like, what are we supposed to do? Not be buddies with our old murder friends? Like, yeah, he um, showed an ID. <laughs> I, I do love. I do love. At one point, someone's like. He was he was brutal. He beat the shit out of suspects, and then more or less, like two or three people at the room were like, "Yeah, but you know, he got results." <laughs> like they're trying to yeah. talk about how bad the villain is, and then like the police chief is like, or the police captain is like, "Yeah, but he got results." <laughs> like, what are we doing here? If you can't even call the bad apple a bad apple completely, like, yeah, but yeah. But it is a movie that, while I was watching it, I was like, I I do miss these, like, lighthearted kind of, like... I know. You know, shoot 'em up action movies where not everything was, like, super grim and serious. On the flip and side... And the set pieces look amazing. Like, it... it I, I know it's the so... The explosion anno- at the beginning looks great. I mean, it's so annoying to say, like... They don't make them like this and they overuse CGI. But that is one of the... When you watch something like this, you're like, I'm giving this more credit because I don't see movies that are made like this anymore, period. Everything feels real and visceral, especially shot by Donner, who's really good at handling action sequences. And, like, you know, there's a reason why people like the some of the Fast and the Furious movies. It's because, like, oh, though some of those, some of them, <laughs> look like, give you a give you like a little bit of the action sequences that we used to take for granted in the nineties. It's also why Peter and I are talking about doing a a nineties double action month because like, yeah, I think at the time, a lot of these movies were like, Oh look, it's another action movie. I think they've gained value over time because like they don't make lethal weapon four threes anymore. They make expandables four. Yeah, exactly. And and that is a, that is a different type of currency. So anyways, We'll be back next week to talk about, I think, what we'll all agree is the worst of these that I'll probably give, like, eight stars to or something. But, uh, <laughs> well, we'll be back next week to talk about... Twice as the Weapon 3, so eight stars, I think. <laughs> eight stars. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about Lethal Weapon 4. Maybe no more? Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. 
you've made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron (laughs) Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>